Section 12 of Gleanings in Buddha Fields. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dan McAdam. Gleanings in Buddha Fields by Lafcadio Hearn. Chapter 9, Part 4. Quote, Non-existence is the only entrance to the great vehicle. Daiban Kiyoi. Quote, and in which way is it, Siha, that one speaking truly could say of me? The Samana Gotama maintains annihilation. He teaches the doctrine of annihilation. I proclaim, Siha, the annihilation of lust, of ill will, of delusion. I proclaim the annihilation of the manifold conditions of heart, which are evil and not good. Mahavaga. 6.31.7 See first the person, then preach the law, is a Japanese proverb signifying that Buddhism should be taught according to the capacity of the pupil. And the great systems of Buddhist doctrine are actually divided into progressive stages, five usually, to be studied in succession, or otherwise, according to the intellectual ability of the learner. Also, there are many varieties of special doctrine held by the different sects and subsects, so that, to make any satisfactory outline of Buddhist ontology, it is necessary to shape a synthesis of the more important and non-conflicting among these many tenets. I need scarcely say that popular Buddhism does not include concepts such as we have been examining. The people hold to the simpler creed of a veritable transmigration of souls. The people understand karma only as the law that makes the punishment or reward of faults committed in previous lives. The people do not trouble themselves about Nihon or Nirvana. Footnote. Scarcely a day passes that I do not hear such words uttered as Ingwa, Gokuraku, Gosho, or other words referring to karma, heaven, future life, past life, etc. But I have never heard a man or woman of the people use the word Nihon, and whenever I have ventured to question such about nirvana, I found that its philosophical meaning was unknown. On the other hand, the Japanese scholar speaks of Nihon as the reality, of heaven either as a temporary condition or as a parable. And footnote. But they think much about heaven, Gokuraku, which the members of many sects believe can be attained immediately after this life by the spirits of the good. The followers of the greatest and richest of the modern sects, the Shinju, hold that, by the invocation of Amida, a righteous person can pass at once after death to the great paradise of the West, the paradise of the lotus flower birth. I am taking no account of popular beliefs into this little study, nor of doctrines peculiar to any one sect only. But there are many differences in the higher teaching as to the attainment of nirvana. Some authorities hold that supreme happiness can be won, or at least seen, even on this earth, while others declare that the present world is too corrupt to allow of a perfect life, not only by winning, through good deeds, the privilege of rebirth into a better world, can men hope for opportunity to practice that holiness which leads to the highest bliss. The latter opinion, which posits the superior condition of being in other worlds, better expresses the general thought of contemporary Buddhism in Japan. 
the conditions of human and of animal being belong to what are termed the worlds of desire yokukai which are four in number below these are the states of torment or hells jigoku about which many curious things are written but neither the yokukai nor the jigoku need to be considered in relation to the purpose of this little essay we have only to do with the course of spiritual progress from the world of men up to nirvana assuming with modern buddhism that the pilgrimage through death and birth must continue for the majority of mankind at least even after the attainment of the highest conditions possible upon this globe the way arises from terrestrial conditions to other and superior worlds passing first through the six heavens of desire yoku ten thence through the seventeen heavens of form shikikai and lastly through the four heavens of formlessness mushikikai beyond which lies nirvana the requirements of physical life the need of food rest and sexual relations continue to be felt in the heavens of desire which would seem to be higher physical worlds rather than what we commonly understand by the expression heavens indeed the conditions in some of them are such as might be supposed to exist in planets more favored than our own in larger spheres warmed by a more genial sun and some buddhist texts actually place them in remote constellations declaring that the path leads from star to star from galaxy to galaxy from universe to universe up to the limits of existence footnote this astronomical localization of higher conditions of being or of other buddha fields may provoke a smile but it suggests undeniable possibilities there is no absurdity in supposing that potentialities of life and growth and development really pass with nebular diffusion and concentration from expired systems to new systems indeed not to suppose this in our present state of knowledge is scarcely possible for the rational mind and footnote in the first of the heavens of this zone called the heaven of the four kings she ten o ten life lasts five times longer than life on this earth according to number of years and each year there is equal to fifty terrestrial years but its inhabitants eat and drink and marry and give in marriage much after the fashion of mankind in the succeeding heaven sanju san ten the duration of life is doubled while all other conditions are correspondingly improved and the grosser forms of passion disappear the union of the sexes persists but in a manner curiously similar to that which a certain father of the christian church wished might become possible a simple embrace producing a new being in the third heaven called emma ten where longevity is again doubled the slightest touch may create life in the fourth or heaven of contentment tochita ten longevity is further increased in the fifth or heaven of the transmutation of pleasure karaku ten strange new powers are gained subjective pleasures become changed at will into objective pleasures thoughts as well as wishes become creative forces and even the act of seeing may cause conception and birth in the sixth heaven take jizai ten the powers obtained in the fifth heaven are further developed and the subjective pleasures transmuted into objective can be presented to others or shared with others like material gifts but the look of an instance one glance of an eye 
may generate a new karma. The Yokukai are all heavens of sensuous life, heavens such as might answer to the dreams of artists and lovers and poets. But those who are able to traverse them without falling, and a fall, be it observed, is not difficult, pass into the super-sensual zone first entering the heavens of luminous observation of existence and of calm meditation upon existence, Ujin Ushi Shoryo, or Kakwan, these are in number three, each higher than the preceding, and are named the heaven of sanctity, the heaven of higher sanctity, and the heaven of great sanctity. After these come the heavens called the heavens of luminous observation of non-existence, and of calm meditation upon non-existence, Mujin Mushi Shoryo, these also are three, and the names of them in their order signify lesser light, light unfathomable, and light making sound, or light sonorous. Here there is attained the highest degree of supersensuous joy possible to temporary conditions. Above are states named Riki Shoryo, or the heavens of meditation of the abandonment of joy. The names of these states in their ascending order are Lesser Purity, Purity Unfathomable, and Purity Supreme. In them, neither joy nor pain, nor forceful feeling of any sort exists. There is a mild negative pleasure only, the pleasure of heavenly equanimity. Footnote. One is reminded by this conception of Mr. Spencer's beautiful definition of equanimity. Equanimity may be compared to white light, which though composed of numerous colors, is colorless. While pleasurable and painful moods of mind may be compared to the modifications of light that result from increasing the proportions of some rays and decreasing the proportions of others. Principles of Psychology and Footnote Higher than these heavens are the eight spheres of calm meditation upon the abandonment of all joy and pleasure, Riki Raku Shoryo. These are called the cloudless, holiness manifest, vast results, empty of name, void of heat, fair appearing, vision perfecting, and the limit of form. Herein pleasure and pain, and name and form, pass utterly away. But there remain ideas and thoughts. He who can pass through these supersensual realms enters at once into the Mushikikai, the spheres of formlessness. These are four. In the first state of the Mushikikai, all sense of individuality is lost. Even the thought of name and form becomes extinct, and there survives only the idea of infinite space or emptiness. In the second state of Mushikikai, this idea of space vanishes and its place is filled by the idea of infinite reason. But this idea of reason is anthropomorphic. It is an illusion, and it fades out in the third state of the Mushikikai, which is called the state of nothing to take hold of, or Musho Usho Jo. Here is only the idea of infinite nothingness. But even this condition has been reached by the aid of action of the personal mind. This action ceases. Then, the fourth state of the Mushikikai is reached, the Hiso Hihiso Sho, or state of neither namelessness nor not namelessness. Something of personal mentality continues to float vaguely here, the very uttermost expiring vibration of karma. 
the last vanishing haze of being, it melts, and the immeasurable revelation comes. The dreaming Buddha, freed from the last ghostly bond of self, rises at once into the infinite bliss of nirvana. But every being does not pass through all the states above enumerated. The power to rise swiftly or slowly depends upon the acquisition of merit as well as upon the character of the karma to be overcome. Some beings pass to nirvana immediately after the present life, some after a single new birth, some after two or three births, while many rise directly from this world into one of the supersensuous heavens. All such are called the Cho, the leapers, of whom the highest class reach nirvana at once after their death as men or women. There are two great divisions of Cho, the Fuquan, or never-returning ones. Footnote. In the Sutra of the Great Decease, we find the instance of a woman reaching this condition. Quote, the sister Nanda, O Ananda, by the destruction of the five bonds that bind people to this world, has become an inhabitant of the highest heaven, there to pass entirely away, thence never to return. End footnote. And the Quan, returning ones, or revenants. Sometimes the return may be in the nature of a prolonged retrogression, and, according to a Buddhist legend of the origin of the world, the first men were beings who had fallen from the Koan Ten, or heaven of sonorous light. A remarkable fact about the whole theory of progression is that the progression is not conceived of, except in very rare cases, as an advance in straight lines, but as an advance by undulations, a cyclical rhythm of motion. This is exemplified by the curious Buddhist classification of the different short courses by which the Kwan or revenants may hope to reach nirvana. These short courses are divided into even and uneven. The former includes an equal number of heavenly and of earthly rebirths, while in the latter class the heavenly and earthly intermediate rebirths are not equal in number. There are four kinds of these intermediate stages. A Japanese friend has drawn for me the accompanying diagrams, which explain the subject clearly. Fantastic this may be called, but it harmonizes with the truth that all progress is necessarily rhythmical. Though all beings do not pass through every stage of the great journey, all beings who attain the highest enlightenment, by any course whatever, acquire certain faculties not belonging to particular conditions of birth, but only to particular conditions of psychical development. Note, the next two pages, pages 251 and 252, contain a number of diagrams of the paths through the heavens. And note, these are the Roku Jinsu, Abhajana, or Six Supernatural Powers. Footnote. Different Buddhist systems give different enumerations of these mysterious powers, whereof the Chinese names literally signify 1. Calm meditation outward pouring no obstacle wisdom. 2. Heaven eye no obstacle wisdom. 3. Heaven ear no obstacle wisdom. 4. Other minds no obstacle wisdom. 5. Former states no obstacle wisdom. 6. Leak extinction no obstacle wisdom. End footnote. 1. Shinkyotsu, the power of passing anywhither through any obstacle, through solid walls, for example. 2. Tengensu, the power of infinite vision. 3. Tenitsu, the power of infinite hearing. 4. 
Tashinsu, the power of knowing the thoughts of all other beings. 5. Shukujutsu, the power of remembering former births. 6. Rojinsu, infinite wisdom with the power of entering at will into nirvana. The Roku Jinsu first begin to develop in the state of Shoman, Shravaka, and expand in the higher conditions of Engaku, Pratyaka Buddha, and of Bosatsu, Bodhisattva, or Mahatsattva. The power of the Shoman may be exerted over 2,000 worlds, those of the Engaku or Bosatsu over 3,000, but the powers of the Buddhahood extend over the total cosmos. The first state of holiness, for example, comes the memory of a certain number of former births, together with the capacity to foresee a corresponding number of future births. In the next higher state, the number of births remembered increases, and in the state of Bosatsu, all former births are visible to memory. But the Buddha sees not only all of his own former births, but likewise all births that ever have been or can be, and all the thoughts and acts, past, present, or future, of all past, present, or future beings. Now these dreams of supernatural power merit attention because of the ethical teaching in regard to them, the same which is woven through every Buddhist hypothesis, rational or unthinkable, the teaching of self-abnegation. The supernatural powers must never be used for personal pleasure, but only for the highest beneficence. The propagation of doctrine, the saving of men. Any exercise of them for lesser ends might result in their loss, would certainly signify retrogression in the path. Footnote. Beings who have reached the state of Engaku or of Bosatsu are not supposed capable of retrogression or of any serious error, but it is otherwise in lower spiritual states. End footnote. To show them for the purpose of exciting admiration or wonder were to juggle wickedly with what is divine and the teacher himself is recorded to have once severely rebuked a needless display of them by a disciple. This giving up not only of one life, but of countless lives, not only of one world, but of innumerable worlds, not only of natural, but also of supernatural pleasures, not only of selfhood, but of godhood, is certainly not for the miserable privilege of ceasing to be, but for a privilege infinitely outweighing all that even paradise can give. Nirvana is no cessation, but an emancipation. It means only the passing of conditioned into unconditioned being, the fading of all mental and physical phantoms into the light of formless omnipotence and omniscience. But the Buddhist hypothesis holds some suggestion of the persistence of that which has once been able to remember all births and states of limited being, the persistence of the identity of the Buddhas even in Nirvana, notwithstanding the teaching that all Buddhas are one. How reconcile this doctrine of monism with the assurance of various texts that the being who enters nirvana can, when so desirous, reassume an earthly personality? There are some very remarkable texts on this subject in the Sutra of the Lotus of the Good Law. Those, for instance, in which the Tathagata Prabhutaratna is pictured as sitting perfectly extinct upon his throne and speaking before a vast assembly to which he has been introduced as the great seer, who, although perfectly extinct for many cotes of aeons, now comes to hear the law. These texts themselves offer us a riddle of multiplicity and unity, for the Tathagata Prabhutaratna and the myriads of other extinct Buddhas who appear simultaneously 
are said to have been all incarnations of but a single Buddha. A reconciliation is offered by the hypothesis of what might be called a pluralistic monism, a sole reality composed of groups of consciousness, at once independent and yet interdependent, or, to speak of pure mind in terms of matter, an atomic spiritual ultimate. This hypothesis, though not doctrinably enunciated in Buddhist texts, is distinctly implied both by text and commentary. The absolute of Buddhism is one as ether is one. Ether is conceivable only as a composition of units. Footnote. This position, it will be observed, is very dissimilar from that of Hartman, who holds that all plurality of individuation belongs to the sphere of phenomenality. Volume 2, page 233 of English translation. One is rather reminded of the thought of Galton that human beings may contribute more or less unconsciously to the manifestation of a far higher life than our own, somewhat as the individual cells of one of the more complex animals contribute to the manifestation of its higher order personality. Hereditary Genius, page 361. Another thought of Galton's, expressed on the same page of work just quoted from, is still more strongly suggestive of the Buddhist concept. We must not permit ourselves to consider each human or other personality as something supernaturally added to the stock of nature, but rather as a segregation of what already existed, under a new shape, and as a regular consequence of previous conditions. Neither must we be misled by the word individuality. We may look upon each individual as something not wholly detached from its parent source as a wave that has been lifted in shape by normal conditions in an unknown and illimitable ocean. The reader should remember that the Buddhist hypothesis does not imply either individuality or personality in nirvana, but simply entity, not a spiritual body, in our meaning of the term, but only a divine consciousness. Heart, in the sense of divine mind, is a term used in some Japanese texts to describe such entity. In the Dainichi Kyoso, commentary on the Dainichi Sutra, for example, is the statement, When all seeds of karma life are entirely burnt out and annihilated, then the vacuum-pure Bodhi heart is reached. I may observe that the Buddhist metaphysicians use the term vacuum bodies to describe one of the high conditions of entity. The following, from the 51st volume of the work called Daizohosu, will also be found interesting. By experience, the Tathagata possesses all forms, forms for multitude numberless as the dust grains of the universe. The Tathagata gets himself born in such places as he desires, or in accord with the desire of others, and there saves, literally carries over, that is, over the sea of birth and death, all sentient beings. Wheresoever his will finds an abiding point, there is he embodied. This is called will-birth body. The Buddha makes law his body and remains pure as empty space. This is called law body. End footnote. The absolute is conceivable only, according to any attempt at synthesis of Japanese doctrines, as composed of Buddhas. But here the student finds himself voyaging farther, perhaps, beyond the bar of the thinkable than Western philosophers have ever ventured. All are one. Each by union becomes equal with all. 
we are not only bidden to imagine the ultimate reality as composed of units of conscious being, but to believe each unit permanently equal to every other and infinite in potentiality. Footnote. Half of this Buddhist thought is really embodied in Tennyson's line, quote, Boundless inward in the atom, boundless outward in the whole. And footnote. The central reality of every living creature is a pure Buddha. The visible form and thinking self, which encel it, being but karma. With some degree of truth, it might be said that Buddhism substitutes for our theory of a universe of physical atoms, the hypothesis of a universe of psychical units. Not that it necessarily denies our theory of physical atoms, but that it assumes a position which might be thus expressed in words, what you call atoms are really combinations, unstable aggregates, essentially impermanent, and therefore essentially unreal. Atoms are but karma. And this position is suggestive. We know nothing whatever of the ultimate nature of substance and motion, but we have scientific evidence that the known has been evolved from the unknown, that the atoms of our elements are combinations, and that what we call matter and force are but different manifestations of a single and infinite unknown reality. There are wonderful Buddhist pictures which at first sight appear to have been made, like other Japanese pictures, with bold free sweeps of a skilled brush, but which, when closely examined, prove to have been executed in a much more marvelous manner. The figures, the features, the robes, the aureoles, also the scenery, the colors, the effects of mist or cloud, all, even to the tiniest detail of tone or line, have been produced by groupings of microscopic Chinese characters, tinted according to position, and more or less thickly enmassed according to need of light or shade. In brief, these pictures are composed entirely out of texts of sutras. They are mosaics of minute ideographs, each ideograph a combination of strokes, and the symbol at once of a sound and of an idea. Is our universe so composed? An endless phantasmagory made only by combinations of combinations of combinations of combinations of units finding quality and form through unimaginable affinities, now thickly massed in solid glooms, now palpating in tremulosities of light and color, always and everywhere grouped by some stupendous art into one vast mosaic of polarities. Yet each unit in itself a complexity inconceivable, and each in itself also a symbol only, a character, a single ideograph of the undecipherable text of the infinite riddle. Ask the chemists and the mathematicians. Gleanings in Buddha Fields by Lafcadio Hearn Chapter 9, Part 5 Quote, All beings that have life shall lay aside their complex form. That aggregation of mental and material qualities that gives them, or in heaven or in earth, their fleeting individuality. The Book of the Great Decease In every teleological system, there are conceptions which cannot bear the test of modern psychological analysis, and in the foregoing unfilled outline of a great religious hypothesis, there will doubtless be recognized some ghosts of beliefs haunting those mazes of verbal propositions in which metaphysicians habitually lose themselves. But truths will be perceived also, grand recognitions of the law of ethical evolution, of the price of progress, and of our relation to the changeless reality abiding beyond all change. 
the buddhist estimate of the enormity of that opposition to moral progress which humanity must overcome is fully sustained by our scientific knowledge of the past and perception of the future mental and moral advance has thus far been effected only through constant struggle against inheritances older than reason or moral feeling against the instincts and appetites of primitive brute life and the buddhist teaching that the average man can hope to leave his worst nature behind him only after the lapse of millions of future lives is much more of a truth than a theory only through millions of births have we been able to reach even this our present imperfect state and the dark bequests of our darkest past are still strong enough betimes to prevail over reason and ethical feeling every future forward pace upon the moral path will have to be taken against the massed effort of millions of ghostly wills for those past selves which priests and poet have told us to use as steps to higher things are not dead nor even likely to die for a thousand generations to come they are too much alive they have still power to clutch the climbing feet sometimes even to fling back the climber into the primeval slime again in its legends of the heavens of desire progress through which depends upon the ability of triumphant virtues to refuse what it is won buddhism gives us a wonder story full of evolutional truth the difficulties of moral self-elevation do not disappear with the amelioration of material social conditions in our own day they rather increase as life becomes more complex more multiform so likewise do the obstacles of ethical advance so likewise do the results of thoughts and acts the expansion of intellectual power the refinement of sensibility the enlargement of the sympathies the intensive quickening of the sense of beauty all multiply ethical dangers just as certainly as they multiply ethical opportunities the highest material results of civilization and the increase of possibilities of pleasure exact an exercise of self-mastery and a power of ethical balance needless and impossible in older and lower states of existence the buddhist doctrine of impermanency is the doctrine also of modern science either might be uttered in the words of the other natural knowledge wrote huxley in one of his latest and finest essays tends more and more to the conclusion that all the choir of heaven and the furniture of earth are the transitory forms of parcels of cosmic substance wending along the road of evolution from nebulous potentiality through endless growths of sun and planet and satellite through all varieties of matter through infinite diversity of life and thought possibly through modes of being of which we neither have a conception nor are competent to form any back to the indefinable latency from which they rose thus the most obvious attribute of the cosmos is its impermanency and finally it may be said that buddhism not only presents remarkable accordance with nineteenth-century thought in regard to the instability of all integrations the ethical signification of heredity the lesson of mental evolution the duty of moral progress but it also agrees with science in repudiating equally our doctrines of materialism and of spiritualism our theory of a creator and of special creation and our belief in the immortality of the soul yet in spite of this repudiation of the very foundations of occidental religion it has been able to give us the revelation of larger religious possibilities the suggestions of a universal scientific creed nobler than any which has ever existed 
precisely in that period of our own intellectual evolution when faith in a personal god is passing away when the belief in an individual soul is becoming impossible when the most religious minds shrink away from everything that we have been calling religion when the universal doubt is an ever-growing weight upon ethical aspiration light is offered from the east there we find ourselves in presence of an older and vaster faith holding no gross anthropomorphic conceptions of immeasurable reality and denying the existence of soul but nevertheless inculcating a system of morals superior to any other and maintaining a hope which no possible future form of positive knowledge can destroy reinforced by the teaching of science the teaching of this more ancient faith is that for thousands of years we have been thinking inside out and upside down the only reality is one all that we have taken for substance is only shadow and the physical is the unreal and the outer man is the ghost end of section 12 recording by dan mcadam